Well, it's great to have you here. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the senior pastor here at uh, First Baptist. If you have your bulletin, I'm going to ask you to take that out if you would. And um, this is the last message in our series, You Do You, where we've been encouraged uh, to share our faith, to know how to defend our faith uh, to all who ask, and to be ready to do that uh, for the hope that is inside of us. And, and let me just give you a word of encouragement, if I could, all right? Uh, last week after our service, uh, Pastor Nikki stopped me, and she said, hey, Pastor Brad, I had the privilege of leading 18 young children to the Lord uh, last Sunday uh, in the services uh, that, that she does at 11.15 as well as 9.30. And so we just celebrated that with her. And then I remembered that she had mentioned to me a couple weeks before that that eight other children had given their lives to Christ. And before that, when Jaron ended his upward basketball program, um, there were 19 children who responded and said yes at that point in time to knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. So we do celebrate that. Yeah. That is exciting to see. That is very exciting to see. And you know what? I'm going to ask the guys upstairs, if you can turn the lights down just a little bit. They seem very bright on me today, and I can't see all the faces up in the balcony. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we're excited about that um, and what God's doing in their ministry. In fact, I just was in the back area. I caught a whole group of kids walking up the stairs looking at the baptistry because that's where Pastor Nikki's showing them they're going to get baptized um, in a few weeks. And so very, very excited about that. In fact, she's got a great program for them next Sunday. Uh, while all of us are over at the community center at 8, 9.30, 11.15, at 9.30 and 11.15, she's going to have the kids in the gymnasium and do a great program on walking with Jesus and walking through the final days of the life of Jesus, the final week where Jesus um, came into Jerusalem as we're celebrating today, and then Monday, Thursday to the cross, the resurrection, and all that. So bring, invite your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, neighbor kids, whatever it may be. They will have a wonderful, wonderful time. In fact, Nikki and I were talking about um, her sharing her faith with another child who was six years old in the ministry. And she just got together with her and started kind of talking to her about this. And when this young little girl heard what Nikki had to say, she was amazed. And she looked at her and Nikki said, you, you know it's about having a personal relationship with Jesus and inviting him into your heart. And she's only six, looks back up at Nikki and says, why hasn't someone told me this before? <laughs> because you're six. <laughs> Didn't think you were ready quite yet, right? But she was open to it. Same type of conversation I had with Helen Miller who's one of our prayer warriors around here, went on a mission trip, got ill on that trip, came back, uh, is in recovery um, place, a rehab uh, facility, just kind of recuperating some of the strength in her uh, right side. Um, and I was having a conversation with her this last week as I visited her, and she told me about her 99-year-old grandmother who she shared her faith with years ago. And her grandmother, at the age of 99, said the same thing. She said, why hasn't anybody told me that it's about having a personal relationship with Jesus? And at the age of 99, she gave her life to Christ. I asked Ms. Helen, I said, I said, how long did your grandmother live? She said she lived to be 122. So God still had a lot of years for her. But you know, it's never too late. It's never too late. 
to know that. And if you are listening to my voice right now, whether it be on the internet, in the wiggle room, or here in the auditorium, you need to know that it is about a faith in Jesus. So don't walk out here and say, why hasn't someone ever told you? It's a personal faith in Jesus where we invite him into our lives and accept him as Lord and Savior and say, yes, return, repent from our sins, and invite him in to be our leader and our master. Because we know that Jesus changes lives. In fact, it's the reason why we have five pastors. I meet with a group of five pastors every month. And together we are praying for revival to happen across this city. And, and I, I've just sensed that there's been a greater evangelistic kind of temperature in our church. And obviously, we're wanting that across the city as well. And so in our different churches, we're just sharing that with our congregation. That as pastors of uh, Harvest Bible, as well as Lincoln Presbyterian Church, as well as obviously here at First Baptist, Lakeview Assembly, that's now Oasis, and Quail Lakes Baptist Church. We're, we're unified. We're friends. And so don't go telling stories about my, my pastor friends over there at our church, all right? And don't go over to their church churches and start telling stories because we know each other. We, sh we share stories. We track you down. We find out who's saying these things, right? Those five churches. You can go to other churches and share all you want, but we're going to find you out in these five. No, I'm joking about that, all right? But, but we're praying for revival to take place. I pray that you're hoping for that and praying for that as well. I was talking with a uh, man in our church this last week. Here's what he told me. He said, because I always hear him catching a saying things about God, great things about God. Like, I'm so blessed. And I said, why are you so blessed? He said, because God has radically changed my life. He said, you didn't know me before, Pastor Brad. I hated God. I was angry at God because I thought that God caused my life to be bad when I was growing up. I hated him. And he said, I, I didn't raise my son in the ways as well. I didn't raise him to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He said, I know him now. I've surrendered my life. My life is going great. I still pray for my son. He has not given his life to Christ. But he says he's been working on his grandson and helping him to know Jesus. And the grandson is now singing some church songs when he comes home and dad's starting to hear it. And dad's open to it. And I said, well, we just need to pray for him. That is that gentleman's oikos. What we have talked about, the 8 to 15 people that God has placed in our lives that we are to share Christ with in whatever way we can. Ways that will communicate God's love to people. Ways that will change their life and sharing, um, uh, whether it be through service, whether it be to, through our intellectual dialogue, whether it be through a personal relationship. Um, we have these different styles that we've been talking about in the last about month and a half. And so I'm going to put them up here on the screen again. I won't go over all of them because I've done that most every week. Today, we are talking about the very last one. And that's Peter, in Acts chapter 2, being confrontational. Being bold when he shares his faith. Because you never know when you're going to be called on to share your faith or the opportunities that will present themselves. And so Peter is the one who we model this kind of after. Uh, because Peter is, is, he's got this personality of just being bold. He, he's a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. He's the one in the boat. When Jesus is out walking on the water, says, oh, can I do it? Can I do it? And even before Jesus probably says, yes, come, he's got two feet out on the water, and he's ready to go. And he's just walking out there, and then he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he begins to sink. He's at the high of the high. He's at the low of the low. He's the one who's always kind of got his foot in his mouth. He's lopping off the ears of the of soldiers who are arresting Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane. Peter is the one 
who you, you look at his life and you say, man, he's probably the one that we're all the most like. If we're passionate, if, 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 if we're trying to run out ahead and, and, and say that we'll just be a great Christian and then we just find ourselves falling flat on our face. That's Peter. Remember during the Holy Week where he tells Jesus, I'll never deny you. I will always claim your name. Jesus says before the clock grows three times, Peter, you will deny me. When a little servant girl confronts him at a fire, it's his final third time that he denies Jesus. And Jesus looks, Scripture said, looks at him and he weeps bitterly because he denies him three times. And yet, when Jesus rose and came back from the grave, he reinstates Peter. And who did he choose to be his spokesperson at Pentecost? But Peter. Because Peter has got that passion. Peter has got that style that's just going to lay it out for the masses. And so we're looking in Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, open them up to verse 22. And we see Peter with all of his passion pointed now in the right direction. Hitting his sweet spot as he shares these words. Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words, he says. And again, this is where he's speaking in front of thousands of people. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Try that kind of conversation at lunch like this next week, right? You crucified. Peter's just going to throw it out there. He is just bold in what he is saying. It says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jump down to verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make you your enemies, your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about, how many First Baptists? 3,000 souls. 3,000. Now, as we share about 
Peter. I'm sure that there's many of you in here today who are saying, you know, um, I, I couldn't be that kind of a person. I, I don't speak like that. I don't enjoy speaking like that. Let, let me just remind you, though, if even, that, even if that is not your primary style, if you're open to God moving in your life, there is no stopping what God can do. Amen? No stopping what he can do. And, and so, of these six different styles, I don't know which one you represent or resonate with the most. This one is definitely not my top one. In fact, I, I cred, I've told many of you, many of you have been around here a while, you know, I don't love being the one who's up front on Sunday mornings and preaching on Sunday mornings. I don't wake up on Sunday morning saying, yes, I'm ready to go in my own human nature. Now, it, I, I love doing it when I'm gifted with the Holy Spirit, when he allows me to speak in that way. I remember a few weeks ago when we were over at the community center for Dedication Sunday. We put in so much time, so much effort, so many prayers, and then that time came, and I was there at 9.30 on Sunday morning. I'm there worshiping, and I did not want to turn around and look at all of you guys in the back up on all those seats. And yet I did, and I said, oh my goodness, they came. They came. Because that is an exciting time. It's also a very scary time to say, God, now I need you to show up. God, I need it to be your words. I put in all the time. I put in all the preparation. But God, these are your words that you need to share. But understand this. You don't always have to get up in front of a bunch of people to work in this style that Peter has, in this bold, confrontational type of style. In fact, one of the... A couple of years ago, I shared a video with you in here. Many of you will remember this, but some of you are new. You, you probably won't. It's a video by an atheist that probably has spoken to me more about how I should be sharing my faith, and I don't. It's a video by Penn Gillette. And some of you recognize that name, uh, um, uh, Gillette and Teller, or no, what's it, Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. Uh, he's got a show in um, Las Vegas. I think uh, Penn has been on Dancing with the Stars. Um, he's an atheist. And yet he was approached by someone who loves Jesus. And you would normally expect an atheist to kind of refute this or to go onto a video blog or to his um, email uh, and send out words about how hateful that was and you shouldn't be saying those kind of things to me. But watch the reaction of this gentleman. He does this on a video blog, and so that's why the angle of this is kind of strange. He posted it online. Um, and listen to him as he talks about how he was approached by this person who gave him a Bible and watch his response and his reaction to this. Take a look. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist.
but he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Wow. How much do you have to hate somebody not to share your faith with them? That's coming from someone who does not have a faith. He says, I don't respect you if you don't evangelize. Because if you think this is the only way, then go with it. And you should be trying to save anybody, comparing it to like even a truck coming to hit them. That's convicting. If you truly believe you have the cure for cancer, wouldn't you want to share that? Basically is what he was saying. So he wants that. He desired, and did you see what he was saying? He's saying, I'm a businessman, so I'm not crazy. Right? I mean, maybe some people have kind of gone down that road and done strange things and given a bad name to how you share your faith. And he said at least three times, he looked me in the eye. That tells me he was caring about him. And that's the feeling that Penn got there. That he was a caring person who just came to share. Now, most of us probably won't have the opportunity to share with some world-class, you know, entertainer or something like that. But my goodness, if we feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit, we need to take that. We need to step out and do. Gideons are a great organization that give out Bible. In fact, gave Bibles to him. No, Psalms is not in the New Testament, but that's all right. He'll, he'll, he'll learn that more. He reads. It kind of was added into that little Bible. But... Gideons do that on our school uh, campuses. I know I was just talking with Ariel Mendoza and David Stoll. They're very involved with the Gideons. If that may be a step that you would like to take and take those to school campuses and such, then great. That's what God has laid upon your heart. Take that step. You do you. Now, there's an interesting story in Acts chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, jump up ahead about six chapters. Because I want to share with you someone else who took some bold steps in sharing their faith. But let me set the background for it right before I do that. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see some of the last words of Jesus where he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, it's a famous verse. Many of us know that verse. That happened at the beginning of Acts. Then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Then we see Peter taking the next step and sharing that Holy Spirit in the power of that Spirit, the name of Jesus. That's the passage that we just read about. But the disciples then stayed in Jerusalem. 
they didn't go very far. They just kind of hung out there, even though they could now could have gone. And it's not until there's a great persecution that comes on um, to the disciples and the believers in Acts chapter 8 that we see them now going to the second step, which is Judea and Samaria. So in chapter 8, verse 1, we see that Saul is the one who brings his persecution. By the way, there's a great movie out called Paul, which Saul used to be called Saul, then changed his name to Paul when he started doing a great work. And so I would encourage you to see that. And that great persecution came upon them and scattered them to all the regions of Judea and Samaria. So now they're going to those regions, and then watch what happens here. The next step to the end of the earth takes place in verse 26. Watch how this is done. It says, Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in this chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. All right, there's the bold confrontational kind of step. The Spirit says, move. And what does Philip do? He moves. Let me set the stage. Candace, this, this word here, Candace, um, is not the queen's name. It means It's a title like Caesar. So Caesar Augustus was the emperor Caesar. So this is a title for the queen um, of, of Ethiopia. And she ruled over it. She was called the Candace. The eunuch now is high up in her court. A eunuch, if you don't know what that is, is someone who has chosen to be castrated, um, kind of cut his manliness off if you want to go that way. Um, it's usually done before puberty. And so it affects the hormones, uh, makes the, the voice a little higher, so more like a feminine voice. But it allowed him to be more trustworthy around the females um, because they didn't have as much of the testosterone and such that um, people wouldn't trust you around females quite as much. But he was a Gentile, so he wasn't a Jew. But it said he was a proselyte to Judaism. So he has come into Jerusalem to worship, but he's not allowed to go into the inner courts. So he's outside of those courts, and it, it, it's got to kind of be a little bit of a morbid kind of time because he's not allowed to worship like the other Jews do. And now here he is going back home, never having entered the actual courts. And you can hear the clip-clop, 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 clip-clop of the horses as they're going down the road. And God says, go speak to him. And he's probably on the back of the chariot, maybe even covered by some shade in that hot desert sun. And he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And here's what takes place in verse 30. After Philip is told to go by the Holy Spirit, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this genera- his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And we know this now to talk about, the showing about Jesus. In Isaiah 53 is a passage about how he would die. Thursday night, we're going to remember that. Friday, remember what he did when he died. This is the passage that opens the eyes to that. And so the eunuch said um, to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? It says, Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And he just opened his mouth. And the Spirit started speaking. When I read that, I circled that in my Bible, and I thought, that is what more of us need to do. More of us just need to start opening up our mouths. And you'll be surprised, I think, at what comes out when you do. You'll be surprised. If you've heard much teaching around here, if you've gone to our community groups, if you've been part of our Bible studies, our women's ministry, our men's ministry, if you've gone to Pastor Dare's classes as he teaches those, even as he's going to do in a couple of weeks with um, the faith and the hope, finding faith, finding hope, if you've gone to those classes, you've heard great summaries about the Christian faith and the Christian teaching. You know more than you think you do. Don't ever let someone scare you if you don't think that you know enough because it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not quite sure about that. Let me talk to my pastor about that. Or it's okay, you know, I'm not quite sure. Let me research scripture more and I will get back and I will talk with you. More of you just need to start opening up your mouths and when you do, God's spirit will speak through you. Verse 33. Nope, I just read 33. I'm going to 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You know, you will never know. You will never know until you open up your mouth. You will never know until you pray, God, use me in some way today of helping people find out their way. We never, you, people do not know how lost they are until you're able to tell and show them and come alongside them. And notice what happens here. The eunuch is already reading Scripture. God has already set that into place. And so Philip just comes in and says, hey, do you know what's going on there? That's a part of helping him find out where he's going. He didn't know. He couldn't, it couldn't be explained. He said, how can I know without someone explaining it to me? Kind of reminds me of um, Albert Einstein, the great physicist, who um, was named the time man of the century. Not, not just the year or the decade, but of all the 20th century. And the story is told about Albert Einstein, how he's traveling one day from Princeton on a train when the conductor is coming down punching tickets for each of the passengers. And he comes to Dr. Einstein and says, uh, ticket please. And Dr. Einstein looks into his vest pocket and can't find it there. He looks into another pocket on his coat, can't find it there. He looks to the seat next to him. He doesn't see his ticket. He looks to open his briefcase. He cannot find his ticket anywhere. 
And the conductor says, you know what? That's okay, Dr. Einstein. I know who you are. We all on the train know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein kind of nodded appreciatively and said, thank you. The conductor continued down, and he's punching tickets as he's going all the way down, and he's just about to step into the next car when he turns back around, and he sees Einstein on his hands and knees. The great physicist is down on his hands and knees looking for his ticket. He comes rushing back over. He says, Dr. Einstein, it's okay. You don't need to show me your ticket. I'm sure you bought one. I know who you are. It's not a problem. Einstein looks up at him, and he says, young man, I too know who I am. I just don't know where I'm going. (laughs) You will meet people this week who don't know where they are going. Trouble is most of them don't know that they don't know where they're going. Just like Philip stepped in. Because an angel, the Holy Spirit, prompted him, touched him, tapped him on the shoulder. Says, now's your time. Go, share. Folks at First Baptist, when's the last time we prayed to have that opportunity? When you pray for those opportunities, those opportunities come. And he took this conversation, he took the conversation straight to Jesus. Which, I got to tell you, we're living in a post-Christian era. And to declare that Jesus is the only way is not very politically correct these days, is it? People will say, if you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that you're arrogant, you're intolerant, you're narrow-minded. But folks, First Baptist, this is a non-negotiable. We do not mess with this one. Jesus is the only way to God the Father. And when you say that, you're not being narrow-minded, you're not being intolerant. You are simply restating what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, do not buy into this culture that says, oh, don't tiptoe around that, don't be saying that, that's offensive. You know, you can say it in the proper time, but be bold about it. People need to know it, and what Philip does here with the eunuch is he brings him from where he is and he takes him to Jesus. He takes him from Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 53, and he walks him through and he takes him to here's what now the word says, or I have to say about Jesus and who Jesus is. In fact, let me share one more verse with you. It's on the back of your outline. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 118. After I share this verse, then I will be through. In this verse, we see Paul saying, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You know what Paul is saying there? Here's what he's saying. He's saying the cross is the dividing line of history. The cross is, 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 it divides all of humanity. On one side are people who do not believe the cross, who do not believe what it means and what it stands for. In fact, they call it folly. They call it foolishness. That word folly or foolish is where we get the name or the word, the English word moron from. So people who do not believe in the cross feel like anybody who does is a moron. And yet on the other side, Those who believe in the cross says that's the power of God. The same element, the same cross is to some foolishness as it is the power of God to others. That word power is the root word for where we get our name dynamite from. 
The power of dynamite comes from that cross. Explosive power to change a life comes from that cross. That's why we unashamedly, unashamedly say that, yes, it is through Jesus and only through Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins and can have a relationship with God the Father. And he's the one who changes us. In fact, if you have not seen the movie, I can only imagine. Great movie. I want to encourage you to do that. I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be in theaters. It did very well, and so they've held it longer uh, down at the downtown. It's a story about the young man who wrote the song, I Can Only Imagine. And Bart Mallard had, in his own words, a, a horrible childhood growing up. His father was a horrible man to him. Beat him and all the rest. And yet at the National Prayer Breakfast, 2017, Bart Mallard stood up and said, if the gospel can change my dad, who was a monster, it can change anyone. And he wrote that song when he came to a better relationship with his father, and then his father passed away. And that song, I think it talked about, hit triple platinum. The most famous, the greatest selling Christian song ever written. I can only imagine. Talks about the change. It was written because his dad changed by the power of the gospel. And folks, here's the end of the story. When Philip spoke to the eunuch, that eunuch went back to Ethiopia. That's the end of the earth. That's the, okay, we're in Jerusalem. Now we're in Judea and Samaria. Now we go to the end of the earth. And so as those circles spread farther and farther and farther apart, that's the obedience that Philip had to see the gospel go to the end of the earth. Who knows of these 45 kids that just accepted the Lord in the last month in our ministry, who knows how many of them are going to be great evangelists around the world or here in Stockton or to their classmates, to their families, to their oikoses. Who knows how many of you will be as well? We just need to be faithful. Faithful to saying yes and being obedient to what God places upon our hearts. I pray that as we enter into this Easter week, this most holy of weeks, that your antenna will be up for how God wants you to share his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the calling that you have upon our lives to take steps of boldness, Lord, that we can see an example from Peter and we can take great solace in knowing he was not always on his game. In fact, just on uh, Thursday night of this week, we're going to remember what he did in denying you three times, running from you when you were crucified, and yet, God, you reinstated him. You said, Peter, Peter, I forgive you. Now go and feed my sheep. Peter, come on, don't sit on the sidelines. Get back up. And Lord, I thank you that Peter was your greatest spokesperson there at Pentecost, seeing some 3,000 people because of obedience to say yes. Lord, I don't know where you're going to ask us to say yes. But Lord, may we do it in our prayer times so that we can do it in the battle. May we do it on the sidelines so that we can do it in the game. May we be people who continue to say yes, yes, yes. And folks, if you're here today and You've never given your life to Christ. Today would be a great day to say that, yes, entering into the most holiest of weeks, to say, yes, Lord Jesus, today I acknowledge I'm a sinner. 
Today I acknowledge and I confess that and I ask you for forgiveness. Today I'm choosing to follow you and to receive you as Lord and Savior. If you, your heart is just beating to that beat, if you in your own heart can say those words, Lord Jesus, yes, I invite you in. Then welcome to the family. And I invite you to come talk to me after the service, to talk to a friend who brought you or invited you to come, or even out at our Next Step Center. We have some information we'd love to share with you about taking your next steps. There's no greater decision you can make than saying yes to Jesus. And God, I thank you that when we say yes, when we say yes, now we're on your team, and you want us to be helping, you want us to be serving, you want us to continue to say yes in obedience. Lord, may we do that this week. Even as we leave these grounds, we enter the mission field. I thank you that your calling is upon us to invite, to share, and to profess the name of Jesus. We love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.